Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Now, on Clark.com, our main website, we have a section called Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. It's where when you feel I have not done a good job at my job, you let me know. And coming up later, you get to hear our online edition of Clark Stinks. Speaking of online, for years, I have recommended that people who were reluctant to get a will done and just weren't going to hire a lawyer to do a will, look at doing an online will with Willmaker or LegalZoom. With both of these, you go through questionnaires, electronic questionnaires, where you fill out the documents, and then... You print them out and you take them to have them witnessed and whatever requirements there are, they're state specific. Some states it's supposed to be notarized, others not, whatever. And so these are affordable ways to prepare a will pretty quickly, but they're not for people with complicated situations, a lot of money, uh, blended families, or if you get into LegalZoom or using Willmaker, and you get confused along the way, uh uh-uh, you don't proceed if you're really confused because you could make a will that's perfectly legal but doesn't do the things you wanted it to do. And again, if you own your own business, you got money, you got a a messy family background story, you want to see a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts. But I think about how many people have kids who don't do a will because they say, well, I don't have anything anyway. And that's risky because then you're thinking about money, that a will is for money. But when you have minor children, one of the most important reasons you do this is for a whole different thing. That's to state your wishes. Who's going to raise your kids if you pass away? Because the courts may decide if you die without a will, it's going to be that no good sister of yours or whatever, whoever it is in your family that you would never want to be the one raising your kids. That's who the court may say, yeah, that's who we're going to have raise the kids. And there's nothing you can do about it because you're gone, right? So if you've got minor kids and you haven't done a will, You need to do a will. Now, I was asked recently about a new way of doing a will, which I was not aware of, so I've read about it, and I'm looking at their website right now, trustandwill.com. Now, this is a really, really different kind of thing in many ways from Willmaker or from LegalZoom. Because now there are a tiny number of states that allow a will to be all electronic. 
no longer requiring that the will be printed out and signed, because I guess a big roadblock with people that are younger is they don't want anything to do with paper and having to go have all the signatures done and all that. And so now there's even um, a, a national forum for establishing like a, a prototype law for various states that specifically is something states can adopt so that they can adopt an electronic-only will. I saw an item in the New York Times that only two states fully recognize at this moment fully electronic wills, and that's Indiana and Nevada. But Florida and Arizona are, in 2020, apparently going to allow fully electronic wills. Whether you live in a state that allows or will in the future allow a fully electronic will to be done, or you have to print one out the old-fashioned way, like it's, I don't know, pre-internet days where you have to print something out, do it if you have kids whose interests you need to protect. Or in a uh, marriage, or if people are living without benefit of marriage, a will is very important to actually state the wishes of what you want to have happen with your stuff if you pass away and that person you love who you may not be married to, but that's your person, that your wishes of what would happen with your stuff, if you want them to go to them, you want them to go to them. Because you know in most states, if you die without a will, the state decides who gets your stuff, your money, your accounts, whatever. One other thing I wanted to say on this topic is that a lot of times you can have things pass outside of your will by, in many accounts, like retirement accounts, things like that, you can name a designated beneficiary. And even if you name somebody else in your will, the will is actually not the important document then. It goes with who you've signed up with, with the provider for your 401k or whatever, who you've designated as the beneficiary. That's who gets the money. That's who gets the stuff. Armand is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Armand. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. Uh, how can I be of service to you, Armand? Yeah, so I had a question. I know with interest rates recently going down, uh, I've got a savings account as well as a retirement account, and wasn't sure if I should move most of that money in my savings account over to my retirement account now or if I should keep it as is. So that's a great question, and it's one that's on a lot of people's minds because, you know, we had the big run-up in the stock market from 2009 to 2014, and then over the last five years, it's moved up more moderately, but we've had roughly 10 years of the stock market going on an up escalator, and now we're in a time where there's possibility of a recession, there certainly will be a recession at some point. Some companies are reporting disappointing earnings now. So people start getting nervous. Where should their money be? And then the same time they're nervous about that, interest rates are falling on savings. So the question I have to ask you is, what's your need for the money 
that you have that's both invested in stock type choices and the money you have in savings? So my retirement account that I currently have is uh, in a Roth IRA, and then I also have a brokerage account, and those are both in index funds currently. And how far are you away from retirement? I'm still quite a ways away. I'm mid-20s. Oh, man, yeah. So all that money you should just have invested, like you're doing. And what happens in the near term matters not at all for the long term, because you've got a 40-year window we're looking at. Okay, yeah. I know I still have plenty of time to work. I just didn't know, uh, because right now, I'd say with all of my assets, 75% of it is in my retirement account. I didn't know if 25% to keep in savings was good or if I should put more of that percentage towards my retirement account. So having money available in savings earning a puny 2% seems like you're going nowhere, but it's actually taking you somewhere important in your life. Like, do you own a home yet? I do not, no. All right, so one of the things that that savings affords you is money for a down payment on a home you might want to buy. If you have a reversal in your life, having some money in savings is really valuable for you to deal with that. So the idea of having money for a rainy day, the most common thing is three to six months of living expenses. Do you have enough in that savings that you could live for three to six months? I do. I would say currently it's about nine months worth of expenses. All right. So you having that much is not a priority necessarily. And you could move some of it into investing because a six-month cushion is really great and a lot of people are jealous of you listening to you that you have that kind of cushion. But let's go back to the house again. Is that something that's a goal of yours in the next five years? Not a huge priority, no. No plans of it right now. All right, if that's not a priority for you, then I think having six months rainy day money and investing the other money you have sounds great. Are you out of tax advantage places to put money like your Roth IRA? Are you maxing it each year? I am currently maxing it. And do you, you said you had a brokerage account. Does that mean you don't have a 401k available to you? I do not, no. That's why I have my own account. So you have the Roth. And are you self-employed or do you work for somebody? No, I have an employer. I work for someone. And they are not kind enough to have a 401k for you? Unfortunately not. They are a relatively new company, so not at this moment. Okay. So then as the alternative you're considering, putting some of that excess rainy day money into the brokerage account, into the index fund choice you have there, or index funds, that seems like a good idea to me. And I'm just so impressed that you're living on so much less than what you make. The long-term benefit to you, Armand, is huge. Armand is huge of doing that. Brett is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brett. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you, Brett. You're at the other end of the age spectrum calling me, aren't you? Uh, close to it. Not, not, not too close to retirement yet, but still far enough away where money is important. Okay. Well, how can I be of service to you? Um, so I worked for a major corporation for a number of years, 
and wasn't aware that I was even getting a pension. So it's a nice thing to discover. Um, I received the option of doing a lump sum or leaving it as is. The lump sum would be about $68,000 or about $1,000 a month at age 65. I know in this case it makes sense to leave it as is. But they mentioned rolling it into an IRA. Now, I don't know how pensions work. But if I did the calculations over about 20 years, it's going to be worth north of $225,000 if I did the $1,000 a month. But if I took the lump sum today and put it in an IRA, assuming the money doubles every number of years. Every 10 years would be a standard 10 to 12 years. Yeah. So by the time I'm 67, that would be about a quarter million dollars itself. And then it would continue to grow even more if I lived to 85 so or 20 plus years after the age of 65. So doesn't it make more sense for me to take the lump sum and invest it in an IRA than wait to do the $1,000 a month at 65? So for most people, it does not make sense because most people are not going to be disciplined with the money or uh, be... Uh, do proper allocation with the money if it goes into an IRA. They'll they'll tend either to dig into that money and use some of it, or they will be too conservative with how it's invested. So they'll do one or the other, or even a combination of the two. So it's very hard for them to create a pile of money that would generate an equivalent of that $1,000 a month for life that you could get at age 65. So... This is really a question more about you than the normal answer, because you sound like you're pretty determined as an investor. Well, the thing is, this is, again, sort of like found money, and it's not anything that I was even anticipating, so I'm just going to let it sit no matter what happens. And it's not necessarily anything that I was thinking that I was going to need at 65, so if I just let it sit in an IRA, it seems like it would be worth as much money by the time I'm 65 than it would be if I took the $1,000 a month starting at 65. Except, so, I'll tell you this, your employer, your former employer, is doing this because it's a huge Fortune 500 company. They say it's going to save them $7 billion cashing people out instead of paying people if everybody cashes out. That yeah. it's a huge savings to them. So you're you're going on the assumption you're going to be able to generate more money from it than they think they're going to save by you taking a cash out. Well, if you if you do it in an IRA and you assume it's going to double every ten years, by the time I'm sixty five or sixty seven or sixty five now, right, it will be worth about two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. But again, if I start taking $1,000 a month at 65 and I live for 20 years, by the time I'm 85, that's only going to be $225,000. If you are confident in your ability to invest this found money that kind of rained out of the sky, then go ahead and take the lump sum. Generally, I've recommended people not take the lump sum, but you seem like you have a really solid path that you want to follow investing in an IRA And if that's how you feel the most comfortable, go for it.
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. And producer Joel is going to ask your question for you. Who do we have? Clark, we got one from Van. He says, over the past two years, I've gotten into quite a bit of debt. I've tried to put together a budget, but I don't feel like I've done the best job. And honestly, I've not been good at sticking with it. I think I'd do much better with some specific instruction in my life. Do you know of a person or a company that does financial planning or coaching to that detailed degree? Someone who examines everything I spend money on and advises me on the best choices to make in all those different areas. In other words, are there fee-only Clark Howard-like people who can help someone like me? Actually, yes. With what you're facing, where the money just seems to evaporate, you need to sit down with a counselor from an NFCC affiliate, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, um, nfcc.org, again, is the website, if I didn't say that. They are an organization devoted, a nonprofit devoted to guiding you how to get out of debt and how to handle your finances moving forward. Um, If you're charged anything, it'll be a tiny amount of money for somebody to sit with you and help you get your finances ship shape. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. That's what we're about. That's what we do. Or that's what I promise. There are times you feel that promise goes unfulfilled. That's why we have Clark Stinks. At Clark.com, you can go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, and you post where you feel I gave bum advice, bad information, wrong opinion, or really didn't deliver for the individual you heard me talking to and you want to set the record straight. And other people can read what you post at clark.com slash clarkstinks. They can add comments to it. They can agree. They can disagree with you. And then weekly, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Mr. Howard. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. We're starting out there. What, what, what? (laughs) My name is Clark. Your advice on the Google Fi phone working in Europe stinks worse than abandoned house, an abandoned house with wasps stinging you as you come up to the door, dog and cat odors as you walk in. This is a family show, so I won't specify which kind. Mildew, old food trash, and hungry, hungry fleas biting you. Clark, you don't stink. 
I just wanted to let people know that you need to activate the Google Fi phone before you leave the USA. Otherwise, it won't work in Europe, specifically London. The rest of you and your team's advice has made the rest of my trip to Europe very economical and fun. I remembered your advice on getting a SIM card over here, and that is what I did once I realized the Google Fi didn't work. I wish you well on your health issues and hope you can stay with us until you're 95, then you can retire. John in Wilmington, North Carolina, but currently in London, England, and soon Paris, France. Well, I hope you have an absolutely great trip. And for those who are not aware, Google has its own phone service called Google Fi, which people who travel around the world love because it gives them their same service wherever they are in the world for data and for texting. Um, And so it is true that if you do sign up with Google Fi, you have to activate before you leave the United States because it's not designed to be a world phone. It's designed for an American who, when you do happen to be overseas, it'll work for you. So have a great time crossing the channel and a great time on the rest of your trip. And I'm sorry that the Google Fi has been a bust for you. I'm a big fan of Clark. So when he touted the Costco Visa card, I listened. As a huge traveler, the biggest perk for me was the travel insurance. Yeah. I was instantly accepted and excited to receive my car card. Ha! Joke was on me. When I got my card and supporting information, I was informed that as of September 2019, they have discontinued that benefit. The other benefits are good enough to keep me happy, but I was really disappointed with the policy change. Thanks for all your wisdom, Clark. I still love you. Bev. Bev? Hey, all of us that use the Costco Visa card as a way to get trip insurance are really upset with Citibank for making that change. Citibank took away from not just the Costco Visa card, but from most of their cards, they took away most of the benefits that came with them, other than in the case of the Costco card, you still get the rewards. But it was a really low blow And what I've recommended as a replacement is the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. Unfortunately, it has an annual fee with it that I think is $95, but it comes with a couple of really useful benefits for a traveler. It comes with the trip coverage, and it comes with primary car rental coverage, so you don't have to worry about taking that junk that the car rental companies peddle at the counter but Citibank I mean what are you thinking you certainly don't stink however the article comparing Roku products ignores the most important feature based on our use and discussions with friends the whole Roku experience is colored by the difference in volume levels of shows watched having the Roku that has the volume controls on the side makes a huge difference to the overall experience Otherwise, you have to buy a sidekick device or keep your TV remote handy. Cliff. Cliff, you're right. And um, I, all right, so this is time for true confessions. This is confessions. What have you done, Clark? Okay, so in my, uh, what used to be called man caves, I realize that you're not allowed to say that anymore, are you? Can you still call somebody a man cave? Yeah, I think there's a show called Man Caves. Okay, so in my Man Cave, I am so football obsessed that I have three TVs. (laughs) This is true, I've seen it. And so 
I've got, they're all three Roku TVs were streaming only. And I had a Roku that did not have that volume adjustment. And the commercials were the problem because one commercial would be very calm like this. And then the next commercial would be shouting at you and whatever. And so I'd be scrambling for the remote to the TV. So I did what you said in your post. I got one of the Roku's that has the volume control on the side. And now I can watch my three games simultaneously in peace. Is that skunky smell coming from the window or from the speakers? Every time Clark speaks about 403B plans, he makes them sound like the worst plans on the planet, but only gives a Roth IRA as an alternative solution. For those of us who already fully fund a Roth and put in enough to get the full 403B match, where else should we invest retirement funds? And how can we tell if the administrative fees on a 403B plan charges are too high? Please tell us a formula to calculate whether we're being ripped off or if we're in a plan that is worthwhile. Keep up the great work, Clark. Your services are truly valuable, Damien. Damien, thank you for that. And this is one of the really terrible things about 403B plans. They don't have mandated clear disclosure of the prices. So if you can't look at a statement from your plan administrator and see all in what your costs are, then I can pretty much assure you it's a really high-cost plan. The only big 403B provider that does not rip people off as their regular course of business that I know of is TIA. TIAA um, used to be known as TIA Cref, that they don't get up every morning trying to figure out how to gouge police officers, firefighters, teachers, and other government workers and workers at nonprofits. The other way you would know that you're being taken advantage of almost 100% if you're in a 403B plan is if it's offered by a big insurance company and they have a rep who comes around and glad hands you and talks about the plan, I can tell you with near 100% certainty you're being taken advantage of. So what do you do if there's not disclosure, it's not a TIA plan, and you got to come up with something else to put money in? This is tough. If I were to say what I would, what would probably be the best bet, oh, it's hard. I would say putting money in an index fund, like a total stock market index fund, with one of the three low-cost providers, Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab. I wish I had a better answer. The best answer is full disclosure from 403B plans and actually much, much, much lower cost. There's no reason 403B plans should cost in fees as much as 100 times what a 401K might cost. On your podcast, you referred to Florida homeowners insurance as fake. My home suffered five-figure damage from Hurricane Irma, and my homeowner's claim was handled promptly and fairly without any issues. While that may not be the typical case of every Florida-named hurricane claim, at least for me personally, I think calling this fake stinks, unless you can back up your opinion with facts. Thanks, and keep up the good work that you do. Best regards, Alan. Alan, first, I'm really sorry that you got hit by the hurricane And I'm thrilled that your insurers stepped up and did everything they should. 
So let me explain because, you know, when I throw out that term fake, it requires more explanation than I may give sometimes. So here's the thing. Florida's homeowner's insurance market is segregated from the rest of the country. Insurers set up separate subsidiaries that would not be able to draw on the resources of the parent company. And in the event of a truly catastrophic hurricane, there's not enough underwriting of these insurers to pay all the claims. As devastating as various hurricanes have been for the sections of Florida hit, Florida has not had the quote-unquote big one since, I guess, Andrew in 1992. And so when I refer to fake, it's because of the cordoning off of risk for insurers and that uh, the state of Florida would have to step in to help homeowners in the event of a massive catastrophic hurricane. Recently, you talked about tariffs being imposed on Ireland and their products coming into the U.S. You forgot to mention this is a two-way street. Ireland's VAT tax on imports is 23% on almost all products produced in the U.S. Be fair, Jim. Jim, thank you. The difference with uh, value-added tax is that's a tax on anything sold there. So goods that come from in the EU or outside the EU, they're all taxed that way. The tariffs are a different kind of thing in that they are a discriminatory way to disadvantage a country. And I'm very opposed to tariffs. I feel like they hurt the world, they hurt world economies, and ultimately they hurt our competitiveness in the world as the United States. And hopefully we will stop being such a tariff-happy country at some point in the future. Al Clark, I heard you talking about how 60% of college graduates are women, but I was wondering, have you done research of the ratio of men to women that go into the trades? Sean. Sean, that is a very fair thing to point out. There's been more women going into a, a number of trades. I think I talked about women in truck driving recently and in different fields that women are filling classrooms that were traditionally male-oriented. And the problem with men not going to college in anywhere near the numbers that women are going is that a lot of fields, college graduates, not all, but in a lot of fields, college graduates have a leg up in the workplace by having that college degree and so many men not having a college degree versus women having a college degree, men are falling behind in a lot of ways. But as you pointed out, you're right. There are a number of trades that someone can go into, man or woman, and earn a really solid living with great long-term employment prospects. I appreciate all your posts, Thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with me. And please, when I say something that feels wrong or out of line, go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Paul. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So you're trying to make this difficult choice of buying a place or renting a place with what home prices are these days. 
Tell me what your thinking has been. Well, I'm leaning towards continuing to rent. Uh, it's a great place. I love where I live. Rent is, is good for, you know, the D.C. where I live. Uh, it's not cheap, but it's not bad compared to other places. But I'm looking at a, at looking at a condo uh, close by, um, and it's, it's expensive. It's about f- over $450,000 for a one-bedroom condo, but that's D.C. for you. Um, the problem is I'd have to clear out my savings to get to the 20% down payment. So, and then after that, my monthly payment will still be about 500 or 600 more than what I'm paying now. Whoa. So, Whoa. Yeah. So you give up yeah. the flexibility of being able to relocate to another city. You give up the flexibility of being able to move to another neighborhood or place easily and you're paying more money, and you wipe out your down payment. Yes. That only works, and you included the condo fee in that five or 600 extra, right? Yes, indeed. So that really only works if you are planning to stay in that condo a good long time, because you cannot count on appreciating value for the condo. You know, okay. Because if you think about... What that condo would have, is it a new building or is it one that's been there for a while? It's brand new. Nobody even lives there yet. Okay. So what you're having to pay per square foot versus what you would have had to pay per square foot in a new condo building five years ago, the numbers are completely different. It's so much more now. And real estate values are cyclical. I would not make that purchase decision if it were me Unless you said, you know, I love this neighborhood so much. I love this condo so much. I want to be here minimum 10 years. Okay. Like, how long are you comfortable that you would you would put that down payment, wipe out your savings, pay extra per month for a life plan of how long do you think you are comfortable living there? Well, I think I'd probably stick around a long time. I love, like I said, it's only a block from where I live now. I've lived in D.C. for a long time. I've lived in that neighborhood for about three years now, three and a half. So I'm okay staying there for a long time. But what worries me is wiping out my savings down to, you know, zero. And I would still have money like in a Roth IRA. So it's not like I wouldn't have access to anything. Right. But my, but my savings would be gone. And that's what scares me. And, and it becomes also, more I'm, difficult to rebuild your savings because you're now going to pay five or six hundred dollars more a month for right. housing than you pay now. Yes, and and so that's what worries me because you know I, I make decent money, um, but this is an expensive city. So adding you know five to six hundred dollars a month more, uh, you know that's that's a lot. Yeah, I I would say your reluctance, the fact that you have to pay more per month, it's not a strong buy signal at all. Mm-hmm. The other thing is real estate is cyclical, and particularly condos more so than homes. So I would I would not, unless you're just absolutely in love with it and you're willing to make the personal sacrifices income-wise, I would keep renting. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking I'm going to do. Right. So I, I think that there are times that we feel like buying a place just makes so much sense. I don't hear that in your voice, and I don't hear that in the numbers. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.